story. Welcome back. What the fuckers? What the fucking ears? What the fuck nicks? What the? I haven't listened to that podcast. What the fuck? Babies. Uh, I'm Sarah Koenig, and this is Reply All. <laughs> so today is a very difficult episode. This is not going to be fun. It's going to be the funnest we've ever done. This ever. was a heavy mother flipping episode, dude. Yeah, it was. It was hard to watch. Lots of sighs. It made me nauseous. Today we're doing When They See Us, the new Ava DuVernay project limited series about the Central Park Five. On Netflix. On Netflix. It has been a while now. I remember when they first announced it. It was pretty shortly after Selma, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. I, yeah, I, now, I agree. I think it's yeah. been a while that it's been in the works. But I mean, man, watching the first episode. They put a lot of fucking care into it. So much care. It was very, very fucking well done. This is my first impressions of the show. There are times when it feels like you don't know if this is a documentary or if this is like just a fucked up movie. You don't know if this is... Like it is... feels like a movie to you. This feels to me like 13th, which is her documentary about the 13th Amendment. Yeah, it feels like... Put into practice. Yeah. And all like of it just... how you would see it in a story. I feel like all of her work has like culminated to this Yeah, absolutely. Point. And I think you and I, were both big fans of Still Processing. They talked about Ava DuVernay's project as like an artist and like what she aims to do with her work. And I think this is kind of... I mean, if this was the end of it, this would be the cherry on top. This is everything she's ever worked towards presenting. It's about race. It's about identity. It's about living in the world. It's about all these things, history, culture, all these things all in one. But it's also, I don't know, so human, I think. Yeah. And I think that's what worked so much for me. Yeah. I really, like, I really do think that it's, like, all of her work put in. I mean, I have not watched everything. I think you've watched everything that she's put I out. I didn't watch her first movie. The one before she was like big. Oh, before I, Selma. I haven't watched it, but I I feel like this is all I don't know, like her big project. Because even with like Wrinkle in Time, you didn't like it as much. I didn't but like, like she it. was working with child actors. Yeah, but she was also working on a level of like, this is representation for people this age. Maybe it doesn't work for you. Maybe it works for them. Yeah. And I understood that part of it, even if I didn't like it. Yeah, but you know what I mean. Like yeah. I feel like all of her work. Like, even Wrinkle in Time has been leading up to this. Mm. And maybe this is, like, me too much. It's too much reading into it. Mm -hmm. But, I, I, yeah, I just I think that it's all, all leading up to it. Because even, I feel like the way she captures children. Yeah, there's such a precise way that they show the children. Like, mm -hmm. they breathe so much. This show breathes so much life into them. And it uses all their strengths really well. Mm -hmm. There's not one child actor in this that sucks. They're all fantastic. They're all so great. They're all like, there's so much subtlety. There's so much presence. There's so much sadness and emotion. It's it's such a difficult show to watch. And it's like, as it's as the story is unfolding in the first episode, like you see, like the realization of like what has occurred to them. You know, like start yeah. to form in their minds. And I think that there's so much to talk about the show, but I guess the way we'll start off is. There is so much, like, complexity to everything. There is the children understanding that the situation that they're in is beyond them and they have no control. But at the same time, they understand their situation being black and in New York. They understand that it's almost futile to do anything that goes against anything that these cops are saying because they know that there'll be consequences. And I mean, we see it very organically, the way that the parents have taught those lessons to their children. And this is, it's a nightmare for them when they see that their children are being booked up and questioned without them. Like they can't protect their children in a world where obviously they know that it doesn't favor them. So I think that there's a lot of little like complexities and juxtapositions and like, 
dichotomies happening all at once and it's hard to think about it and watch it as a story because it's it's so impactful i think yeah there's like there's a lot of like moving pieces yeah and that's probably why it took so long to make just because it's hard to you know it'd be one thing if it's a documentary right but now you have to like dramatize it put it you have to find the story you have to find the narrative but you also have to find like the human component of it yeah and that's one of the, I mean, speaking about the human component, that's what hooked me to the show is like more than anything, what she wanted to do with this story, at least to me as an audience member, it felt like she wanted to show how they were just regular people. These were just regular little boys who were living their life, had no idea of what even sex was. And then they get sexualized in a way that they weren't even like naturally they hadn't even gotten there yet yeah they were forced into a situation that they were not ready for like literally forced which is interesting thinking about that their crimes are all about force the cops who are interrogating them are forcing them into situations pretty harshly in ways that are gonna destroy their lives for the rest of their existence it's not going to be the same anymore They've pushed them into adulthood in a way that's so uncomfortable and so nightmarish for people of color, particularly. I mean, for the people we see on screen, it's immigrants or sons sons of immigrants and like hardworking, middle class, working class people of color. Mm-hmm. It's such a difficult show to watch. Yeah. We should talk about like generally what the Central Park Five is. Or maybe we can talk about where we first heard it. Yeah, Yeah, how did you first hear about it? I don't think I have, like, an exact moment. Yeah. Like, you didn't learn it in school kind of thing? No. And I still don't know, like, all the details behind it. Yeah, me either. But it's just, like, one of those things that you hear of, like, these great injustices that happened. Yeah. You know? Mm Mm-hmm. Like, it's one of the... uh, It's, like, almost like an urban legend. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. This is like this is a cautionary tale. Like, you can even do this. Like, the police will hunt you down and the police will treat you like shit. Yeah. Even if you're innocent. It's funny, though, that like the first time I heard about it, it was more an injustice of like unfortunate events, like circumstantial. Yeah. Like this was something that was unfortunate for these these people involved or who got involved, who, who were you know forced to be involved. But it was never in the context of like race. And then when I was older and I'd heard about the event like in passing, because I'd only really ever heard about it in passing. I heard there was a documentary a few years ago and I was like, oh, I'm kind of interested. But I didn't really know much else. But like thinking about it in the context of race and especially the way that she presented it, it it just seems like one of those events. Because, you know, as when I went to college as a history major, like you're constantly. You were a history major? You're constantly reminded. I, this is the first time you've ever mentioned this in our three-year relationship. <laughs> you're constantly reminded. <laughs> Moving on. You're constantly reminded. Sorry, sorry. You're a historian. My bad. You're constantly reminded. You have credentials. Where did you go to school? You have credentials. Where did you go to school again? <laughs> let's tell. Let's tell. Uh, where were you? I'm not a historian, though. Interesting. You're a historian. So. How come you didn't start off with as an historian oh my fucking god <laughs> michelle you got to delete all of it. i lost my rhythm you gotta put god your damn it your monocle on and your tweet yeah, jacket exactly that's exactly what i have to do all right sorry sorry anyways you were you were saying something all right all right interesting you got it all in your system yes okay so yes professor Hernandez. in college please you hear about all these things that have happened you know there were more than 30 40 years ago and it seems like a lifetime ago this happened in 89 and i was born a few years after that so when it's situated in that way or when i think about it in that sense it becomes way more real it becomes more like a situation where i could have been involved or you know i i think about myself when i was 14 years old i was a fucking kid i didn't know anything i didn't know what i was doing and this is scary this is super scary to realize that you can go one day from everything being perfectly normal, worrying about girls, worrying about music, worrying about anything you had to do in school, and then all of a sudden being put in a situation where you have absolutely no control. You don't even know if you're going to leave home the next day. Nothing is certain for you. It's a scary fucking situation. And 
The parents know that. The children know that. Everybody knows that. There is no, there's never a moment in the situation where they don't know that their life is threatened. And I think that this show, every piece of it works towards that. And it's a hard show to watch. And I know it was hard for you. Talk about how, how it was like your experience with watching it. Yeah, well, to start off, you know, but whoever's listening doesn't know. But I don't like to watch these kinds of injustices. I feel like I empathize a little too much in the media that I watch mm-hmm. where it really like affects me and it affects my psyche. And like I go throughout the day thinking about the media I consumed and how, you know, what I just saw, even if it was fiction or not, like it's still, it's, you know, like it's still like there's like a part of me that just like absorbs it and internalizes it and it, it takes it with me throughout the day. And so when I watch, when I watch something like this, it's very overwhelming because so much injustice happened and there's nothing that I can do to fix it. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Even me, someone who's pretty like, I'm pretty desensitized to things when I watch them. Like I don't, I get, you know, I I get emotionally invested in the story, but I don't really like take it much further than that. But this was like really, really tough because I've been in situations that are way tamer than this, like a million times tamer. But I've seen the worry and like the mortification on my parents' eyes when they when something happened where like they know that they can't protect me at certain points. And I think that that was one of the hardest things to watch for me is the parents. I think the parents were equally as strong, if not stronger there's one scene that you really liked. So in the scene, Antron's parents. Which is played by Omar Little from... From The Wire. From The Wire. Great performance. His parents accompany him to the, to the police station and are with him for the majority of the interrogation until the mom decides to leave because it's too much for her. So the dad stays back to talk to the police officers and the detectives that are interrogating the son. And then the officer that he's talking the white office detective that mm-hmm. he's talking to, somebody hands him a piece of paper informing him of, I guess it's the dad's police record, I'm assuming, right? And his record, yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. And uh, he basically like starts to threaten him. Uh, yeah. He, he brings like, up his He brings up his, his past and, and he's his like, employment. Hey, does your employer know about your past? And in the visuals on screen, it's like a split you start second. to see like a sinking kind of feeling. I mean, the audience gets a sinking feeling because you're like, oh, no, this little glimmer of hope where he thought that he could convince this cop by reasoning with him as a person that this is not something that his kid could do. But then he starts to threaten him with his past, which is, again, all part of Ava DuVernay's project. It's exactly that. Once he's labeled a felon and who's had a past. He stops being a person. He stops being a person. Like to the cop, he was he, like interacting for, yeah. with the cop. The the cop the cop like laughed. He laughed. Like he, he understood. Like he, he sympathized with him. But as soon as he, he saw that he was a felon. And mind you, in the context of the 80s, this was like felons were pieces of shit. They're garbage. It's easy to hate a felon. It's easy to hate a quote unquote criminal. So what he tells them is like. That's my past. That's no longer me. Exasperated, he tells him that. The cop then says, well, it doesn't really seem like your past is behind you, indicating that what is happening with his child now is his legacy. Is a reflection of him. And there's there's so many things happening all at once, but you notice something in the camera work. Yeah, like the second that he says, like, well, it's obviously not behind you, like the camera shifts focus to kind of like it shifts focus to the dad yeah and it's just like a close-up of his of his face with i feel like the edges were blurred out right like, like yeah the, like the edges it was like kind of blurred focused. out it feels like it's kind of swelling a little bit yeah. like t- tilting a little and bit and then to for the like side. a sec like as soon as it, as he says that like there's like a sh- a tilt of the camera and like that small moment just like really illustrates how it feels to have your world turned upside down you yeah. know like i mean it speaks to everything it speaks to 
his child not being safe, not being able to protect his child. Because up to that, it was like this he's a strong man who's like a good father. Yeah, like he was like, even cool with his kid. Like he let him curse. And like they they understood each other on like a friend level. But this moment, everything came crashing down. Because, I mean, not only is he realizing that like his son is in, in dire straits, but he's also, and I think the cop is trying to, he's accomplishing what he's doing they're playing psychological warfare which is another topic we'll get into after but i think omar antron's dad omar little antron's dad we should find his name michael k williams he 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 starts to realize that what the cop has said almost feels like prophetic or like a self-fulfilling prophecy where like your past sins are now starting to reflect in your child and I think that's one of the biggest anxieties of children, especially children of like people who have been in gang activity or who have had a past, whether it's gang or not. It was such a powerful moment of just seeing him lose his mind in that split second. Mm-hmm. Everything starts to crash just yeah. for him in that moment. I mean, because in the scene after that, it's just him telling him to take the plea. Yeah. And again, it's like do everything, everything the police tell you to do. Just do it. Just do it. Because he doesn't, he just doesn't want his child to die, you know. Exactly, but it's, all that matters is that he's alive. But I think what the show does, and I, I can't stress this enough, it goes back to the issues of a broken system, which Thirteenth addresses so vividly. It even has one of the prolific writers. I guess not that prolific, but the writer Michelle Alexander, who wrote the Noom Jim Crow, she gets interviewed in Thirteenth, and she talks about. How her book, which is about the mass incarceration in in uh, the United States, has been increasing, but it also addresses a lot of the broken systems within, like booking and you know uh, arrest, arrest, getting arrested, and things like that. And a lot of it is is these tactics, these fear tactics, these mental manipulation, these war game, these mental war games, where like they make you feel like you have to do what they do. Because, one, you don't have recourses. You don't have money to get out of the situation. They're also not educated on their rights about, you know, being in a holding cell or being interrogated and things like that. So these kids are left to the wind. And even their parents, there's moments where their parents come and even they can't do anything. Mm -hmm. Like their parents still fall. Like they're still black parents within a system so even his dad is just like you gotta just take the plea like that's that's the system that we're in and i'm sorry my son that that is the circumstances that you find yourself in but this is the system we live in and that speaks to ava duvernay's project that was started in 13th but i think seeing it seeing it unroll in a in a storyline that that's why it's hard for me to know whether or not sometimes where this feels like a guerrilla documentary film or if it's like a narrative driven like story it's hard to know sometimes because those are real things those are elements or those are like rules of engagement that exist in our world that we currently live in and to see them on screen portrayed so truly it's difficult to watch i was sad watching it yeah i think another reason why it affected me so much it reminded me of and obviously like this was not filmed like this was great like it this was filmed perfectly there was so much thought put into it, but it reminded me of watching Mujer Casos de la Vida Real. Have you ever no. watched Mujer Casos de la Vida Real? Heard of it at all? La Rosa de Guadalupe. Yeah. Right? Have you. No? Mm. It's an anthology. Is that it's anthology? an anthology yeah, series. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's an anthology series um, in Univision. Mm-hmm. Or maybe not. I don't remember. But I grew up watching. It was like daytime TV. Like you just grew up watching it. And they're all like cautionary tales. They're like, this is what could happen if this happens, you know? And it, it's Mujer Casas de, de la Vida Real is like real women's stories. Like yeah. women's stories of real life. Yeah, yeah. And they're all like centered around women. And like these just terrible things all happen to these women. They get raped. They get killed. They get, you know, murdered in a very tragic way. And like I, as I watched them when I was really young. They, like, terrified me. They, like, made me fear the world. There was one about, like, this little girl, like, pre- like her, she had, like, evil stepbrothers, and they, like, pretended to rape her. 
and they didn't actually rape her but in her mind because she was little like she was raped and so she went, went kind of crazy and like it affected her and i don't know just watching it like really scarred me because it made me fear the world and so when i watch these things that are like based on because the whole premise behind it is it's based on real life mm-hmm. like they're stories that women write in mm-hmm. and like this happened to them yeah. and then they're dramatized in the show yeah. and so this is this is that you know like it's a story that did happen and it's terrifying and it happened in like to these real boys and it just makes me feel like the world is such a terrible scary place you know yeah and i think that that's what's depressing about all of this shit and i think like we've all kind of collectively been depressed by this show because it's things and i think this is still part of ava duvernay's project is she still trying to show you that what you're seeing right now is not so different than what you saw, you know, a hundred years ago, 30 years ago. And it's all connected. Like it's all builds on each other and it all culminates and it's separate, but it's still part of the same system. And it's not so different from what's going on now. And I think particularly black filmmakers, the ones who are like, you know, racially conscious or they, they make films about that engage with race. They do try to engage with what's going on today in a very like prolific and, you know, strong and very artful way. I think Spike Lee still continues to do that, even though, you know, he's 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 one of the older filmmakers now at this point. For, for like black filmmakers he still engages with like what's going on now and how it relates to race relations black Klansmen did the same thing like it was a fucked up story but you know it's still related to what's going on now yeah. and i think with this with when they see it when they see us it still relates to what's happening now the way that children black children are still being killed on the streets it's not that many years ago where this happened or this i mean it just seems like there's something in the fact that she chose the title When They See Us instead of Central Park 5. It was like a tentative Central Park 5 on co- like uh, Ava DuVernay project. And then she changed it to When They See Us. And there is something important about that historically, but also just the way that they talk about the children in the show. Because When They See Us, as soon as they see them, they've already decided the kind of person that they are. Mm-hmm. The person assigned to this case, she was like the leader of the sex crimes unit. But the way that she talked about these children is like they They're were animals. demons. They were animals. animals. They were unworldly, like otherworldly. They weren't even human. And she had already decided that even though she had treated them like regular people, in her head, she had already decided that. I'm already going to use the same tactics that I use. I would use for animals mm-hmm. because that's how she saw them. Just like ra- round them all up, put them in the pen. Do whatever you can. Scare tactics. Do whatever you can to get them to say what we want. Mm-hmm. And that's when the idea of like innocence plays in. Like who do we do we deem innocent? Yeah. No, like black and brown boys, they're not innocent. They're animals. They're going to they're going to do bad things if they're if they didn't do it now, they're going to do it later because they're bad automatically. But, you know, like anyone else, like also we we have to talk about like the idea of like white women (laughs) and like the role that they have played. Yeah, there's a there's a few things. Which one do you want to talk about first? Well, I guess if we continue with the innocence theme, Mm -hmm. like if black and brown boys are automatically deemed evil Mm -hmm. and guilty white women are automatically deemed innocent. Well, yeah, because historically, white women are the symbol of purity Mm -hmm. and the symbol of, like, chastity and the symbol of upholding, you know, citizenry. And, like, they're they're the bosom of America. (laughs) They're, like, the the nurturers. They're seen as the nurturers, right? Like, even in white feminism, if you study any version of white feminism... (laughs) The earliest version of quote unquote feminism is like this cult of domesticity of like how they were, you know, training and teaching the earliest generation of Americans. But 
what that also doesn't address is the history of how black men are presumed guilty for situations around rape. I mean, there's one of the most famous fucking stories to kill a mockingbird is about this Mm -hmm. white woman being raped by a black man, which is based on a real case, I believe. I think so. But there's also, there was also, there's so many, there's there's so so many, many. there's so many. Well, no, 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 there, it is based on a real case. Revisionist history. I I don't, I don't know. Isn't it Emmett Till? I think so. He was like a little eight year old boy in a town, like in a small Southern town. And one day this woman winds up like, she was having an affair, she was having an affair or something. And her husband asked her like, what happened? And she's like, oh, I was raped. Yeah. He was a 14 year old boy who was accused of raping somebody. And but, then they hung, they. Exactly. They did the thing that they did. So that, even though it's what, 1955, it's almost 30 years apart. They lynched him. There you go. It's not so That's different. That's what I was looking for. It's not so different. It's still very similar into what's going on. This is, I mean, I, I know it's such a divisive topic now of like police brutality and police mishaps or police misconduct but it's it hasn't gone away and i think that one of the most important things about the black history the the black lives matter movement is not necessarily what gets portrayed negatively of like oh these people are just using this or just using this agenda to enact their own their own uh their own motives or whatever more than anything I still think that the message resonates to me to this day is stop killing us. Like we want us, we don't want to die anymore. We don't want our children to die anymore. And it's a simple proclamation that hasn't really changed. But also, I guess to to switch gears a little bit, I want to talk about how the black police officers were framed in the show. Cause I think that a lot of, it was very intentional in the way they were, framed right yeah um and i the, the thing that i don't i don't, I don't know what you thought I, no, what, I what do you think what, what are your preliminary agree. thoughts on on that or like what, absolutely what I, th- I think that there will one of the kids kevin is being left in his interrogation cell alone and these two detectives see that he's in there alone and they kind of ask this other black this other black cop and they're just like hey you know is he alone like where's his mom it's like oh she left so then they're like, it's, is it Christmas or is it snowing? Because it feels like Christmas or whatever. And his shock in hearing that is, I mean, it, it, it speaks to a lot of things. It speaks to like the double consciousness or even triple consciousness in this because he's also a cop. Mm-hmm. But it's also like, I felt like guilt to me. It felt like he felt like the swelling guilt of knowing that he just gave this defenseless, young black boy to these wolves basically mm-hmm. like he just he just gave them up just because they wanted to create a story that fit them and i mean okay we've seen stories of police misconduct misconduct with white people too making a murder the entire show is about how the cops fabricated a certain story to create this so if they did that for white people I think this show is telling you, okay, you think that was bad. Let me show you what this is what happens constantly. This mm-hmm. is what this is we have a history of this. Well Well to stay on track about the police officers though, there were two police officers, two black police officers that they they put. So that was one. Was one was the, the one that you instantly saw the guilt in his eyes, and the other one was the one that was talking to John Leguizamo's family about him having to go to work. So John Ling was almost a dad for one of the, Uh one of the kids. They called him at five in the morning and he shows up at eight because he was at work. Yeah. And the police officer is like, I called you at five. I can't believe you're just showing up right now. Remember? Yeah. And like, I feel like that showed two different sides of him, of like being a black police officer. This also deals with the idea of like working within the system, Hmm. you know, working the idea that a lot of people have is like, well, if I work within the system, if I work within the system, I can change the system. Yeah. And you see a lot of times either like, yes, you can, you can 
change the system in a small way or you can succumb to the system. Yeah, you get swallowed up by you it. You can swallow up by it and believe in the things that, you know, you were trying to fight against. Yeah. And maybe I'm reading too much into it, into the both portrayals of these mm-hmm. of these police officers, but I think that it shows, you know, the two extremes that people go into. Yeah. And I think, I also think that there's kind of this, like, I think the defense mechanism for parents in the show is this conservatism of, like, we raised him right. Yeah, like, we're not that kind of family. Like, we're not that, yeah, exactly. And I think that it's so key... And the reason why this probably still resonates with most most people, the the story, is that, like, these were not necessarily children who were out there looking for trouble. And if it was, did they deserve this much? But as far as I know, none of them were involved with, like, the jumping, right? No, I mean, as far as I know, no. I don't know a lot of But I I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that because I don't know. Even if they weren't, like, obviously, like, from the show, we can tell that the co- the detectives, the police, they weren't in it to find out the truth. They weren't in it to find out, like, who actually raped yeah. this person. And I think that's, that's again, that's part of that broken system of, especially for cops. It's a bureaucracy, and they need to find results. Absolutely. They need to get results. They need to find and solve the case yeah because it didn't feel a number it didn't feel like the 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 lead the the head of the sex crimes division it didn't seem like she needed to prove this because well okay no i think that her personal vendetta again is going back or her what she wanted more than anything is going back to the idea of protecting white women protecting pristine white women this these little hoodlums these little demons destroyed the sanctity of white women and i think that's what she was trying to uphold but at the end of the day she still wanted the recognition of like people recognizing i don't know it seems like she traded in gender or she values gender over everything else that's the only thing that truly matters to her like she only cares about white women it's like when you trade off white women or would you trade off your gender person first, like you're a woman first before anything else? So if something happened to, a, uh, you know, a white woman, then we have to go, we have to protect white women at all costs. But if it were like a black woman, then you wouldn't. Like, it seems like she puts women before everything else. Mm-hmm. But in that way, she she has like a tunnel vision. She has, she, she's very narrow minded. She only sees what she wants to see and anything that doesn't fit inside of that has to be a lie or a manipulation of some sort. Did I lose you a little bit? No, I think you lost me a little bit because I feel like you're reading way too much into this character. I don't think so, though. Because I feel like she only cares about gender first. Like, I don't think she cares about... Like... I don't think that she... I mean, I don't think she's doing it out of, like, worrying about this lady. I think she's doing it more because of the numbers. Like, I think it'll look good for her. You don't think so? I don't. I think that that she's playing up the narrative, but she's she's looking out for what herself. numbers though, like the sex crime numbers. Like she wants to solve this case. She wants to have this case solved, so all of the glory goes to her. Mm. That's why she was fighting with that lady, like the other, the homicide division detective. Yeah, I guess she that's wanted true. it for herself. She wanted the reputation. She wanted to solve this mystery. Yeah, that's true. She like she manipulated everything. She knew from the beginning that these boys couldn't have done it. They weren't there. How are but they going to drag the body for half that a mile? In that, it shows her morals. Like it shows what she values. Yeah, I no, say. I mean she's a shitty person. Like the only thing she values is protecting the sanctity of white women. She shows her bias when she describes the boys as animals. Yes, but she also shows it in the way that she talks to her superior where she's just like this many women get raped this and that like she has those numbers ready to dispense at all times and she i think it's whether or not she's doing it actively as like a crusader for gender i don't think it's necessarily that but i do think that she has inherited that and it's part of her goal as the leader of this division so i think that she has decided maybe to a fault where like i only care about women women crimes or like you know sex crimes of that in of that nature 
So much so that I won't see the innocence of black little boys. Like, she has decided that's the most important thing to her. You know what I mean? Yeah, I know what you mean. Like, in the way that, like, that has popped up throughout history, where, like, people... I mean, it's it's been divided so many times, where, like, people choose race over gender. Mike Tyson, O.J. Simpson. There's just so many where, like, they've decided that this is the one that I've chosen, and I will protect her, or I've chosen this side, and it's usually race or gender. Mm -hmm. Even, like, uh... It's just no, one of yeah, those things. I don't disagree with yeah, you okay. on that. I just don't think that in this episode that is what is highlighted. I disagree entirely, though, because I think that that is part of the myth of white women. And I think that she, as a person who is supposed to protect and serve, that is who she is protecting. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. there's kind of like this. Maybe this is too philosophical, but there's kind of like no. This, I mean, again, like who I, you're protecting when you protect. Yeah. And I think to her, it is white women. Yeah, I I agree that that might be the case. I just think that you're reading too much into it for this episode. Because right now, from what we have been given as an audience, we know that she wanted this case, and she was willing to argue with a colleague of hers to get it. Mm-hmm. That's kind of all we know about her right now. You don't know much. Yeah. So I feel like you're you're not, probably not wrong. Mm-hmm. You're probably right. I just think you're reading a little bit too much into it in the first this first episode. I don't think so. <laughs> I think that that is part of. I didn't finish my point, but that idea of like who you're protecting is part of being like an American. I think military too. Like you're protecting women and children. Like mm-hmm. those are those are two things. That are, you know, like a saying, like that's kind of a mantra. But in that, and I think what this show shows is that you're protecting women. You forgot about children, especially when they're black children. Mm -hmm. So I do think that that is part of kind of the Kool-Aid that she drank. I think that that is the narrative she's spinning. And I think that because I don't think she necessarily cares about the woman that was raped. Yeah, whether or not there's no caring. I'm not saying it in that sense, but I'm saying she cares about the kind of like the the mythical woman, the mythical, yeah, the the mythical or like the you know the the one the 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 primordial the abstracted version of a white woman. Yeah, I think that is what she is protecting. Like I think she is truly that that is part of her mission. Okay. And that's what I'm trying to say. But I, I do think that that is central to her character. Like whether or not she even is a real person. I think that the creation of her character or the way that her character was designed was part of that. She is a protector of the sanctity or the myth of what a white woman is. And she protects them. Whether or not it's like some crusade of like, you know, a holy crusade or like a benevolent crusade is still out. Obviously, she's not. But I think that, that there is kind of that. Let's talk about the Latinidad in this. Like the. I mean, he, he was obviously like a mixed boy. His name was Raymond. His name was Raymond. And he was a Latin, little Latino boy. Or not, nah, he's not that little. It's like 14 year old Latino boy, 15 year old, whatever. 15 probably. And his dad is John Linguizamo, obviously. But. There is <laughs> kind of like, I don't know. And there was an added thing with him in that. I mean, it's a truth. It's a truth that in New York, there are Latino, half black, half Latino boys and like, or just Afro Latinos. There's just a reality. So it makes sense that, I mean, if you just talk to him, he'd just be like an American boy, but you hear him talk Spanish and things like that. But it, I thought it was an interesting touch to show like the grandma there while they were translating and things. Yeah, like that. I mean that's that's what I wanted to talk about too. It's just like there's an added barrier for him. Yeah. In that his parents are both working class. It's hard for the parents to get there, and the guardian that can be there doesn't speak Spanish. I mean, doesn't speak English. Yeah, it's his grandma. Yeah, you know, like, and I think that you you know growing up with immigrant parents like both of us. That there's like, there's like a level, like you just have to grow up faster. 
Yeah. Because you have to understand things in order to, to be able to, to translate. as an adult for people who don't know how to maneuver through an English speaking world. Yeah. So you have to be an adult for them. But I mean, I don't, I don't think we necessarily saw that as much because the detective spoke Spanish. Yeah. So but I think for- I think the idea that there were things that the grandmother didn't like she didn't understand what was going on. They definitely manipulated. You know? Yeah. yeah. The boy was able to see what was going on. And he was like, yeah, okay, I'll do this. You know, like he made the decision. He was able to like rationalize for himself. Like, this is something I'm going to have to do. Like, I don't have my dad. I don't have my family here. My grandma is here, but she doesn't understand. Like, she doesn't understand the nuances of what's going on. There was like a lot of world changing decisions being made. That he had no idea what was happening. Mm-hmm. He's like, yeah, I'll do this. This and is the like, thing that I'm going to do. And, and I'm going to pretend to be an adult. Yeah, and I think situation. that that's part of the harsh. The harshness of this episode is that, like, you are standing right in front of your child and you still can't protect him. Yeah. And that's how fucked up the system is. And so much so that the child himself, who has now had this awakening and has to be kind of an adult more so than he probably already is having to translate for his grandma. He has now made life decisions that will affect him for the rest of his life. And he doesn't even know what is happening. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know how severe, how severe they are. And I mean, he probably, he shouldn't have to. Yeah. And that was so fucking frustrating about watching this. Even someone who we can, I mean, we kind of get the sense that like, Kevin's sister, who's kind of like, you know, she, she looks kind of smarter and like she went to college, whatever. She's reading his statement and the cops keep pressuring her to sign. And she's like, I'm not going to sign this. He obviously said they're not going to. And then even Kevin tells her, I didn't do it. And she's like, well, I'm not going to sign this. But she's but Kevin says, you have to sign it or else we can't get out of here. I need mm-hmm. I want to get out of here. I'm tired of this. So it's like all these different elements where it feels kind of like this whirlwind of things happening all at once. And you get whiplash sometimes. because You're just like, what the fuck? What am I watching? It's so fucking hard to keep up with everything. All the different elements, social, cultural, economic. There's so many things going on at once that it's so it's like sensory overload sometimes mm-hmm. because you you start to feel like you're actually there and you feel the gravity of the situation. And it's. It's tough to imagine being actually put in those circumstances. So it's really hard to watch. And I doubt that there's even like a happy ending to this because it's still going on. It's a constant fight. Yeah. I mean, yeah, the, the, in the real case, they were in there for what, 15, 20 years? No, they were in there for 30 years. They were released recently. I didn't even know that, dog. They were released recently, not that long ago. But that's why this has been a thing for a while. Like they've been trying to get out for a while. Yeah. And the the I mean the story behind it too is like the fact that the family never gave up. Like the families of these boys never gave up. They were yeah. put in, in in an impossible situation and the families still fought for them. Yeah. Yeah, it's just so sad and it's so overwhelming and I'm sad. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like I can't do anything, you know, like I feel like things are impossible. I don't like to end things. that We're not we're not done. We're not done. We have a lot to talk about still. Do we actually? Well, I just wanted to bring up this point. It's like, what do you think about how the like the trend of dramatizing these court cases, like these infamous court cases? See, this one feels like it has way more weight. Yeah, I feel, I feel like it, it takes away. It doesn't take away. It's just. It feels like I feel it's like this been in, Yeah, this has been in the works for a while. And I think that it's a shame that it's come out now in a time where these drama, like these cases are being dramatized. Yeah. I you mean, know? this is also like a kind of a prestige one, you know, like this isn't like Ryan Murphy making another TV show. Like Ryan Murphy is great as he is. What he does, not necessarily my favorite. And what are the but, the, the Ted Bundy stuff? You yeah, know? but again, those, those aren't like prestige versions. Those are kind of like those are very kind of boring. This none of them have really been helmed by like a you know an auteur director or anything like that. 
the OJ one was good. The documentary was good, but documentaries already had kind of have like their own air about them. Mm-hmm. This one feels if it was completely different one because it's a narrative and two because it's not like it's about something more than just that. Like it's about more it's about more than just the murder or like those aspects. Like usually in those cases you're trying to paint the picture of like how these these people were bad or whatever, or like how the situation was fucked up, but this one is like the the setting that they're in is fucked up. Like the US and the police system and every all the corruption is fucked up. Yeah. These boys did nothing. These boys are innocent. Yeah. Case closed. It's the system that's a bad guy. Yeah. But if if we can end on something that's positive, I think that we are in a time, at least, where things are starting to change a little bit. There's more access to lawyers and things like that. Not saying that it's common, but there's a lot of people who lived in this era who were probably victims of it or who had connections to it in some way. We're trying to like affect change in ways to help people like this, like create more literacy for surrounding laws and things like that. And I mean, even just like there's more information now. There's a lot of workshops to like get people to understand their rights. So there's a lot of putting this out there. It's not saying that like it's completely changed, but I think that the spread of information, the more readiness, the, the quicker availability of information helps and also as as sad as it is the visibility is kind of what keeps things accountable as shitty and as i mean as shitty as it is to see black bodies die i think part of it and the part of the reason the the success of the black lives matter movement is that visibility that visibility of seeing the destruction of a black body that was a tactic that has been used historically for such a long time is to let them see, show them how they see us so that hopefully the next person won't be as unfortunate. And I think that that, especially now, like there are eyes everywhere now. I think that, I think that that could affect change in a positive way. And that's, that's my, that's the only thing I have for that. Cause it's, it's hard to just, it's, e- it's it's a lot easier to just be like the world is the worst than it's ending. Just to be which an it is, about it. But yeah, I mean, you you know me. Yeah. I don't like to be a pessimist about certain things and I like to believe the good in the world, which is why like stories like this extra affect me because they start challenging that belief. Yeah. That belief that like I mean, I know like I know People are shitty and they're going to do shitty things. But I like strongly believe that deep down people are good, you know, or there is good in the world. (laughs) I don't know. Um, I don't know. I don't know if I believe that. It's just like it's like I feel like I, I mentioned this to you a lot. I don't know if I should mention this now, but I mentioned this a lot that like there are truths that like I tell myself to keep going you know like there are truths that i have to believe in in order to like function as a person yeah right and i think everybody has their own truths, their own version of their own truths you know like things that they just learned throughout their lives like they're good at or like they're smart or they're like you know they're not good at this or they are good at that you know like these truths that you've just like told yourself to keep going and i think one of the things that i tell myself i i think when I feel hopeless or when I know that like an injustice was served, like I think of that Martin Luther King quote, mm. like the arc of the universe. You know, you know which I'm talking about? No, no. The arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends towards justice. Mm. I think of that quote that like we as humans, as like the world, we've done such bad things to so many people. Uh, collectively you know but i just have to believe that like in the end it skews towards justice like there has to be some justice in the world you know well i mean if there is anything that comes good of this 
even if it happened so late, is that now we know. Now people know that the injustices that these boys suffered was mis- was a mistake. And the people involved in this should be accountable. But America should also be accountable for this. Because what we're not talking about are those invisible forces that condition them to think of these children, these black children, as less than human. So this is an accountability. If nothing else, it shows that they were given their story as it actually happened was showed. And that's what I will leave off on. I don't want to rate it necessarily because I think it's unfair, but I think it's one of the best I've seen this year. And ratings don't matter because <laughs> I'm not, not rating. Sorry. Well, it's a limited series. Yeah, so it's a limited series. So anything, predictions don't TVs. matter this time. Do you want to give it a rating? I'll give it a five. Okay. Out of respect. <laughs> like with things like that, again, like I know, I know the, the, these things are good, you know, like these movies, these shows. I know they're great, you know. I know that they're like very well done, very well acted. And they deserve all the praise. But because of the subject matter, I know that I can't handle it. You know, like I can't. Because you don't like to support black women <laughs> in media. I watch Wrinkle in Time. Interesting. Yeah, I get you. I get what you're saying. So I love this show. The show is great. This one episode that I saw is amazing. Yeah. I give it a five. I think it's one of the best pilots, if it is a pilot, I've ever seen. Yeah. But can I continue to watch it? I don't think I can. I think it's too much for me. I think yeah. I would rather read up on it and get all the details from what actually happened than actually have to see it unfold in my like in front of me. Yeah. But I also feel like it's kind of negligent to not watch it. Like, this is one of the shows you got to watch. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm being negligent <laughs> in saying that I will not watch it. So yeah. I probably will. If you watch it, you'll probably watch I'll it. probably watch it. It's going to be very, very hard for me to watch it. It's going to be hard, mate. I'm showing the podcast. But yeah, anyways, that was this episode. It was a lot more somber than the Chernobyl Wait, episode. what would you give it? I'd probably give it a five, too. I, just, I told you I didn't want to rate it. Out of respect. I didn't hear that. Yeah, I know. Also, guys, whoever's listening, my nose started re- bleeding randomly. It started reading. It started reading. At like a fifth grade level. <laughs> no, I'm bleeding out of my nose. It's reading. And I'm drowning in my own blood. Yes. Drown. I'll gurgle. Drown. All right. We're <laughs> signing off. Peace. Bye. From the new house. Bye. Bye.